This edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the good guys at Bird Campbell Law Firm with offices in Texas and Florida. Bird Campbell, your Duke-centric law firm. Bird Campbell means business. Folks, welcome to episode 100, our 100th episode of the DBR podcast. I am your host this week. I am Jason Evans, and we have a special show for episode number 100. There's no question about that. First, I'm going to introduce my two partners in crime, the guys who've been with me all along for all 100 of this wonderful journey, Sam Klein in Denver, Colorado. Sam, how are you doing today? Hi, good morning. I am uh, currently sending you guys a Snapchat of us recording our 100th episode of this podcast. Nice, nice. And Donald <laughs> Wine, Donald's in Washington, D.C. Donald, what's up, my friend? Look, the, the average podcast lasts seven episodes. And for us to reach 100, I'm absolutely ecstatic that we've lasted this long and that you guys out there actually like hearing us talk for 100 of these things. Well, and, and the best part is, so we're on number 100, and so for number 100 people, we brought you something special. We have a third, uh, sorry, a fourth, I guess, a fourth host on the show this week. Uh, we are joined by former Duke basketball player, Kenny Denard. Kenny, uh, welcome to the DBR podcast. I- I'm going to tell folks who don't know about you, Kenny is an absolute living legend, in part for his play on the court, in part for some of the things that happened off the court. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, he he played at Duke starting in 1977 through his senior year of 1981. He started virtually every game along the way. He played in a national title game. He made a regional final. He witnessed the beginning of the Coach K era. He also played three seasons in the NBA with the Kings and the Nuggets. Kenny Denard, welcome to the DBR podcast. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure and really an honor to be. I didn't know it was your 100th podcast, so that's, that's even more special. Kenny, I'm going to freely congratulations, admit. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thanks so much. I'm going to freely admit that I tried to get Coach K, but when I couldn't get Coach K for this podcast, I went for the other K. I went for Kenny Denard. That's okay. I'm, you know, I'm okay with that. I don't mind being his second. <laughs> I'm I'm glad we're all in a good mood because um, we're going to start by talking about something that happened yesterday that um, I think has us all in a little bit of a bad mood. The Blue Devils played the NC State Wolfpack. Um, it was at NC State. The game did not go as any of us really expected. Um, Duke lost the game, ninety-six to eighty-five. It was uh, it was a bad bad loss. Um, NC State's not a very good team. Um, there are a number of statistical things that I'm going to point out about this game, but before I get to any of that, I want to toss it to Kenny. Kenny, give me your impression from this game. What what went wrong? What happened that cost the Devils a game that we all thought they were probably going to win? Well, you know, you can sit there and be critical of individuals or coaching or whatever, but, it, you know, it's January 5th or 6th, whatever day it was, January 6th. This team has starts four freshmen. You know, this is a whole new uh, world at Duke. I mean, we're we're not. I mean, Gene Banks and I were freshman starters. That was unbelievable back in '78 when we went to the finals and we were the youngest team in the finals, um, first team or the youngest team in the finals until the Michigan Fab Five. But you know, when you have freshmen dominating 
um, and you know they can have flashes of brilliance and maybe string two or three, four games together. Like the you know they had just an unbelievable beginning of this the season with the comebacks and the the big wins and the great performances. But you're going to have days like yesterday. That's going to happen. It does not mean anything. I, you said it's a bad loss. I don't think it's a bad loss. I just think it's a loss. These guys are going to, I mean, nothing really matters until March. So they're going to fit, and coaches is go, the coach is going to feel his way. The staff is feeling their way with this team. You know, But you can go individually and talk about each person, this, that, or the other. The only thing that I saw that I was a little disappointed in was Grayson. Because, you know, he was just non-existent. I, I, I just was very – I just wondered where he checked out to. That was so, the only question I had. Everything else so, is going to happen. Every team brings the best game to, to, against Duke. And so NC State didn't look like the team they did a few days earlier. No question. Kenny, I, gotta, so I, 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 I want to frame your optimism because when we were like, – like we talked uh, like a month ago um, – about when Duke had just finished that stretch where they had a whole bunch of games and they were doing a lot of traveling. They looked tired. They had to make a lot of comebacks to, to beat teams. That we know that they have more talent then. Um, so, and, and throughout that, we kept saying, okay, they, we know they're tired. We know they haven't practiced much. We know that they're, they're still kind of gelling as a team. And then they had a lot of time off. And um, you know, they, they lost that Boston College game, which was kind of before the long layoff. They struggled a little bit with Florida State at home, and then and then we have this game here. So what? And and looking ahead at the schedule, they don't have as much you know sort of regular practice time. Now they're kind of in the the meat of the ACC schedule where they're playing two or three days, th- two or three times a week. Um, what what kind of changes do you think they can make, knowing that we're this far into the season, or is it just like you said um, that that it that Time will will work no matter what because they're still just learning to play together. Yeah, I mean their defense. You know when they're you know, the zone defense is something that Coach K has you know been experimenting with. I, I I always imagine him in a lap coat with a Bunsen burner with this zone defense, and uh, you know sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not, and then then he goes back to man, and they seem to lose their man. You know. Rec- uh, responsibilities in their head. So I just think that defense is really the weakest thing. They can score, but, the, you know, their defense is, you know, everybody's talking about how they can't guard. That's going to come. That's just going to take game. The, 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 you know, the again, I, I'm not a big, you know, a lot of people get up, live and die with every game. I'm not one of those because, you know, I look back, at all the years, you know, Coach K's won five national championships, but he's lost 32 national championships. 32 seasons he didn't win national championships. And those were very successful years in most cases. So this year, they've got a great shot at a national championship with this talent. It's got to come through together. Like you said, they were off 10 days and then off another 10 days. So let's let's talk again in a month, and then we'll know what this team really is going to look like in March. But I think between now, uh, I fortunately get to go back to a couple games. 
I live in Houston, Texas, and I get to go back to, to games every now and then. So I'm going back for that uh, Saturday-Monday game uh, tandem back at the end of January. So I think it's uh, Virginia and Notre Dame. So I think after that weekend, and then Carolina at Carolina will be a good test. But really, I, I'm, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't get too crazy about where they are yet because four freshmen starting at Duke is unheard of. It's never happened, and you know, for consistent, consistently, and and I think it's just going to have games like last night, and we're going to have to live with it and not, you know, be threatening uh you know, get off the ledge everybody it's going to be okay oh I, i'm i'm not i i don't think i'm on the ledge about it i i guess i want to know at what point i should be because i i i agree with you that that being sort of forgiving about about the time it takes them to get together given given all the youth is reasonable um it just seems like um you know we i i would think there would have been more progress at this point although I guess maybe I don't appreciate how hard it is to integrate so many new players in that way. Um, and then I think that the other concern and, and, and Jason or Donald could also answer this, but, but um, how do you guys feel about the bench usage in this game? Cause I know that we, we acknowledge that coach K has the, has his short bench um, philosophy. And, and I think that it, it generally makes sense. We talked um, last week about, he had a he had a quote um, about how he likes to keep the guys in like when they're in foul trouble so that they can play confidently. That wasn't as much the case in this game. It was it was more like you know should should there be more bench play because the because the guys aren't executing the way that they want to um, or the or the way that we think that they should. Um, I I still tend to think that that it's okay because you need those, those key players to get the, that playing time together. But do you think that, that we need to see more of say Alex O'Connell or, or Jordan Goldwire? No, I, I, I mean, <laughs> I like those guys. I like those guys and I, I, I want them to play and I want them to play well, but I don't think it makes, uh, uh, look, I would like O'Connell to play more than two minutes. Um, although I didn't think, he played very well in the two minutes he was in there. In fact, I thought he played pretty poorly. Um, and, uh, and, and I think coach K went, okay, well, he's not having a big game. So I'm taking him out. He's done. Um, uh, I, I don't have a problem with us playing our starters, the vast, vast, vast majority of the time. Um, I, I don't think Grayson Allen seemed as asleep at the beginning of that game as he did at the end. It's not like he was playing great early on and then played poorly late. Uh, Marvin Bagley was just as good down the stretch as he was early in the game. I don't think minutes. If Wendell Carter only played 29 minutes. I mean, Wendell Carter, I, to me, that wasn't fatigue, especially when we had a, 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 you know, it was our only game for the whole week. That It just wasn't an issue. Uh, look, this is a game we got out-rebounded. By the way, we've been out-rebounded in two games this year, and we've lost both of them. If we win the rebounding battle, we win the game. If we lose the rebounding battle, we lose the game. We got out-rebounded. We turned the ball over 16 times, second most turnovers we've had all year. We were a terrible 3 of 15 from 3. It is hardly surprising that we lost. We only had 10 assists. That's a season low for us. This is a team a couple of games ago. Remember the Evans Hill game? We had 32 assists. And I was talking about how great that was. We only had 10 assists in this game. We didn't pass the ball well at all. Trevon Duvall, or 
however he's pronouncing his name now, Duval. I, I forget. I was paying attention. Trayvon it's Duval. Trayvon, yeah. Trayvon, Trayvon Duval. Duval. Yeah. Okay. Whatever his name is. On that now. <laughs> he had eight turnovers. And he's been, his assist to turnover ratio has been great all season. It was terrible in this game. And he had some really bad turnovers. But the bottom line to me is the defense in three ACC games. Y'all ready for the number? Jason's stat of the day. Three ACC games, Duke is giving up an average of 93 points per, 92.7, 93 points per game. We're giving up an average of 93 points per game. And I want to point out, we haven't played Murderer's Row. We played BC, NC State, and Florida State. Florida State's good, but BC and NC State are supposed to be bottom half of the league. We're giving up 93 points per game. And it feels to me, like I, I, I said last night after the game ended, I said I put this one on Coach K because he's refusing. He, he played man-to-man the entire second half of this game. And uh, we, we got our lead playing zone. I think we befuddled NC State when we played zone. Um, and then we went to man-to-man the entire rest of the game. And they, they just they beat us off the dribble nonstop. They averaged 1.28 points per possession. Which, which is worse than the worst defense in Division I basketball. If you look at Ken Pomeroy's rankings and the such of the defensive efficiency, yesterday we were the worst defensive team in all of college basketball. Um, I, and I guess, Kenny, let me put a question to you. Sure. Uh, because you're the guy who says, and I agree with you, it's just an early January road loss in the ACC. Who cares? But is it worth continuing to to try to drive man-to-man principles into these guys if it continues to look like they're not going to learn them? Or at some point, should you go, you know what, guys? Let's just learn to be a really good zone defensive team. Let's let's be Syracuse instead of trying to be a Duke team that maybe we can't be. Well, that's, again, that's part of what they're trying to feel out probably as a coaching staff. I mean, that, I, there's no question that you, as, I mean, again, I'm not a coach and, Never played one on TV, so I, I, I'm not speaking for coaches, but I, I do know that that with this team and each team, because the beauty of what Coach K does is each team is a new team. The one thing that I do agree with you is I don't know which one of you said it earlier. The short bench, the short bench syndrome, that does concern a lot of people because it seems like it it. Uh, it did did I miss it? But where where was uh where was uh Bolden yesterday? He was he wasn't he, dressed. They didn't. He they was didn't injured. Talk about it. They said he was injured. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm good. I'm glad he wasn't dressed because I was wondering why didn't he get in? <laughs> but I, again, I'm on my motor coach down in Galveston Island for the weekend, and so I didn't watch every single second because it wasn't really worthy of watching every single second. But you know. It's going to be. Uh, there's going to be days that they are going to have to just let these guys, and then use the tape. They're going to be using that video. You know, they're probably one of the best in the business with their video analysis and the way they break down for the for the kids to. I mean, they take their system is set to where they can take certain types of plays and then they're all categorized and they lump, all right, show me the times that this, this and this happened. 
and they'll show four or five of them in a row to the player. And those teaching, they really haven't had that opportunity to teach these freshmen that yet. They don't have enough body of work against, especially ACC, when you start talking about these away games where it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot different to play in the away game. You know what it's like when people come to Cameron. Well, it's worse for Duke people when they go to other places because we have that target on our back. So, uh, again, I, I think it's going to be, um, like I said, in a month or six weeks, we'll know what we have, and, and I think you'll be very happy because uh, barring any injuries, uh, this this team has everything that uh, I'm looking for to have fun in in, um, in San Antonio in, in late March. I love the optimism. I love it. Hey, Donald, I want to bring you in a little bit on this conversation about the NC State game. Do me a favor. Talk to me for a second. Um, you know, Kenny identified we have four freshmen starting and playing huge, huge, huge minutes. Um, and, and Kenny also mentioned this. I mentioned this as well. Grayson Allen was really disappointing yesterday. Uh, he's supposed to be the leader. Talk to me a little bit about leadership, Donald. What, um, what, what, what's going on here with this team? Well, I think because we're so young, we, we need to find a second leader. And that's not to say that Grayson Allen isn't a good leader. I, I don't think he was yesterday, but leaders have day, have off days as well. Uh, one thing that Coach K said after the game is, we were real young tonight. We really had no leadership on the court. I just thought we were, like, frantic. And you could tell by the way we play. Like you mentioned, Trevon Duval had – eight turnovers and a lot of those turnovers were him trying to force something to happen on the court another stat another thing i want to talk about we got an email this morning from dave jordan uh a a listener of the podcast and he mentioned that he started counting in the second half how many defensive stops we had and he considered a stop a possession where nc state did not score at all and he said after 10 minutes i had only counted five for the entire second half was I it did that not many? run out of fingers. Was it that many? <laughs> yeah. But he also said that doesn't even consider the three possessions where they got three or more points. And it's tough to make up ground when you allow your points to score three out of every four possessions. And I think that's key because down the stretch, the leadership comes into play. You know, in previous years, we had we had those guys that when you needed a stop, they were going to get it or they were going to will the team to get one. Uh, you know, we had Matt Jones, we had Emil Jefferson, we had those kind of guys, those those blue guys that were going to come in and that and they were going to lead by example, or they were going to bring up something that would allow the team to will this victory. And down the stretch, we just didn't really have that. And I think that is what's been missing. We've talked about it a lot, uh, but I want to see who the second leader is going to be because there's going to be days that Grayson Allen has an off day. That's that's not. We, we can't expect him to go 40 games and have an average 20 points and, and be the leader for 40 minutes. There's going to be times where we're going to need to rely on somebody else. Who's that somebody you know, else? That's what I want to see going this, forward. This is Kenny. I agree with you 100%. There's, you, you, especially kind of when you've taken the cookbook from Calamari. I mean, excuse me, I always get that wrong. Calipari. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got it right the first time. Yeah, yeah, that, he's so slimy. That's what reminds me of. Anyway, so you take the cookbook from Calipari, and you don't. I mean, again, this is a new model for the for the whole country. It's in the top few teams that are still able to get four or five of these freshmen that are 
quote unquote one and doneers. Um, it the leadership part. I mean, he's he's talked about that. Cal Calipari's talked about finding leadership in the youth, and it it takes a while. That's where the guys, you know, it'll be February, late February, before these guys will have. I know my freshman year, I mean, shit, I played, I started 34 games. I was the second, Bobby Hurley started 38 games as a freshman. I started 34. And before the one-and-done era, those were the top two freshmen starting, you know, I was second in starts until, you know, this one-and-done era started. And I can tell you, your first half of the season, you're looking for other people to, to learn from. I had one of the greatest leaders, Jim Spinarco. To, to emulate, you know, and then we had Bob Bender and we had Mike Janinski. Mike wasn't a leader as much as he was is, is an amazing scorer and credible, but, but we can talk about me later. Uh, but the point, which, which uh, you know, is my favorite subject, but the, the, <laughs> the, the, the leadership was, you know, I didn't even get to see Coach K's post-game commentary, but quite frankly, it, it's predictable that there was no leadership. They were running like they were a 45. You guys don't probably remember this. We had little records that went on a record player and they were called 45s. And then the albums were bigger albums. They were called 33s. I don't know if any of y'all know what that is, but they, they were running oh, at 45. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, they they were, were I was going to say two out of three. I'm, I'm totally lost on that. <laughs> Don, Donald well, and I know. They were running at, at the 45 speed. It, that means it runs a little faster. They were just too fast. Everything was too fast. Everybody was falling down and tripping over their own shoelaces. Or Miss you know, Bill Foster, my coach, the first three years of Duke, he had the best lines. He said, "One bad pass begets another." And if you look, whenever you watch the ball starts, anytime you watch a set, a, a series of events, when somebody has a bad dribble or they have a bad pass, it makes chaos for the next period, whatever, whether it's five seconds or 20 seconds. It's just one of those things that happens. It's like the, the, you know, the cosmic uh, debris starts falling in, in the way. So it was like watching it was torture for me because they just couldn't slow down. They couldn't get in the rhythm. They had no rhythm, and they had no leadership. That won't be that in six weeks. We're not going to be talking like this. We'll go. Oh yeah, I remember that game. That was, boy, they were young, weren't they? Because they'll grow up that much in six weeks. Well, you know, Kenny, we like to point out sometimes our first season doing this was 2014, 2015. That's when the the DBR podcast got started, and um, in January of 2015, we were doing these podcasts and we were talking about what a you know how much the season looked like it was going to be a disaster. Coach K was struggling to get to win number 1,000. I think we, you know, we lost a couple games before he finally got to win number 1,000. Rashid Suleiman got kicked off the team, and we thought the, you know, it was a very, very young team with Tyus Jones, Jalil Okafor, and Justice Winslow and Grayson Allen. And we were like, oh, this is, you know, this uh, this team's not going to go anywhere. I'm pretty sure that team lost uh, a game, if I recall correctly, they lost a game to NC State where we were like, oh my God, how did this happen? Yeah. Um, no, and, and, and I, I think worked out pretty nicely for them. <laughs> but if you go back to, look, let's do that history because I was a history major at Duke, if you didn't know. And I'm a basketball historian. And uh, I love that stat you had earlier about the uh, the points per possession. That was really a cool stat. 
uh, not a fun stat to hear, but just cool. I love stats. Thank you. <laughs> but 2000, look at 2010. 2010 was the same as 2015. They put John Shire as point guard in the middle of the season, and everybody's going, what the fuck? Excuse me. I don't know if I can say that on podcast. No, you can um, say whatever you want, man. You go for it. Okay. It's a podcast. It's the internet. We can say any shit we want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I try not to. I know that, I, that that always, whenever people say, you ought to do TV or radio, I say, well, I can't because I'll say shit. And then they'll, they'll you know, I'm not Charles Barkley. Uh, Kenny, anyway, you need a, so, Kenny, you need an HBO show. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that's I've got key. a face for radio, though. I was skinny and I had hair when you needed it. I was skinny and I had hair when I needed it, my wife tells me. So uh, anyway, um, if you look back at 2010 and that season, it, that's why I thought last year we had a real good shot uh, because we had that mid-season lull. Uh, but, you know, still, every year is a little bit different. But history does teach us that, sure, it's it's okay to get upset. It's okay to get angsty. But for real Duke fans, the key is, to, to know that you've got the best coaching staff on that sideline in the business. There's no, I mean, with his assist, those assistants are fantastic. You know, they're all one of us. If you, if you're a dookie, it's not like, I mean, this it's, I mean, when I grew up, Dean Smith had that system. You know, Dean Smith was the man. I didn't go to Carolina because I wanted to, to uh, start as a freshman if I had a chance and, you know, I didn't want to see Michael Korn sit on the bench for three years. But if the the whole thing about the system that Coach K has is, I think, yeah, we can be upset about yesterday's game. But quite frankly, I'm excited about this season. And there are historical references we can use to, to make sure we keep our, not you know, just not getting too gloomy about it. Kenny, I love it. I love the optimism. Um, we're going to come back to you in one second. I'm going to give Sam the last word on this NC State game, and then we're going to, then Kenny, we're going to chat with you a little bit more about that history and about your history at Duke. Sam, wrap up this NC State game and give me, give me something else aside from Kenny's optimism that I can take with me and say things are going to be okay. So we had two issues that we were looking at early in the season that were bothering us and that we said um, were going to be things that sort of are going to be Duke's Achilles heel. The first was the free throw shooting. Uh, yesterday against NC State, Duke shot 20 for 23 from the line. And Marvin Bagley, who I think has been, has, if he hasn't taken the most free throws this year, he's right up there and has, has certainly struggled with it. He was 9 for 11. So excellent job to Marvin Bagley. And then the other stat I wanted to point out is um, we've talked about how Duke's three-point defense hasn't been great. Teams have taken a lot of shots from three against Duke, and they've made a lot of shots. State was only five for 14 from three. And I think that uh, we can definitely live with that if we're, if we're able to close up the other defensive holes. So uh, a little bit of statistical optimism <laughs> to, uh, to sort of finish off this game. Let's, let's get to the uh, Kenny interview, the proper Kenny interview. Okay, so it is time for us to uh, have a good time with Kenny and, and uh, talk a little bit about your time at Duke and, and your feelings about the, the where, where the game is right now and, and all that other stuff. So, Kenny, I, I want to start by reflecting back on that freshman year you had. Um, 
Uh, it was you. It was Spinarco. It was Banks, Jaminski. You mentioned the guys that were there. Um, and you, Spinarco, Banks, and Jaminski were all really young. You, I think you guys were all freshmen and sophomores. Is that correct? Well, Spinarco was a junior. He was our oldest. He was our elder statesman, if you wish. And then uh, Jaminski was a sophomore, but Gene and I were a year older than him. You know, he 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 skipped his senior year like Marvin Bagley did, and came to Duke at, after his junior season. So he's chronologically a year younger than me, and I'm a little bit older than Gene. Uh, so of us three, I'm the oldest, and but, you know, but- we were. But I was going to say, you guys were so young, and and you made the Final Four. You made the national title game against Kentucky that year. But then, like, what clicked that year that didn't happen in future years? I I would have thought after 1978. Yeah. No, that's a big question because, you know, it's really before the age of um, a lot of, you know, this was right when, I mean, our games were in color. That's what that's what I can brag about. But but, but my, my freshman year, we only had three of the NCAA games. There were only three games um, really on national television for the NCAA tournament. It wasn't the what you guys grew up on with CBS. This was NBC. All the all the games were covered regionally until you got to the regional finals, and then they were national, and then the semifinal and final games. So we were really able to sneak up on people. We had a big run. We were, I think we won 14 out of our last 15 games. Uh, but we were like, um, I don't know, we, we lost seven games. We lost six games before we got into the tournament. So we were probably, I don't know the number, tw- we were 20 and six or tw- 20, whatever, 19. And so we weren't. You know, it wasn't like it was a – you'd think today you got to be 20, 31, and 2 or something. Uh, but we had a great run at the end of the year. The, the the thing about back then is there wasn't this – you could sneak up on people. There wasn't the, the TV coverage. Everything was – there was only weekend games. We had regional games, you know, C.D. Chesley or Raycom or, you know, local regional ACC basketball. But – Nationally, we didn't know other teams, and other teams didn't know us. It was way, way, you know, this is back in the dark ages before you guys really were born, I guess. So thinking thinking that way, we were able to sneak up on people, and we had the rhythm. Our coaches set a plan together that we followed, and we were very focused, and we were very, I mean, we had no distractions. We had no, you know, when we went on road games, we had our own hotel. We were separate from the alumni. Um, we did things to where it was very focused. These guys had a plan, and they had a chart, and we we really did it by the numbers and was very focused. So we came back after we lost to Kentucky, which we almost won. We could have won that game. And then when we got back, it was like we won. There were 5,000 people at Raleigh-Durham to cheer us on. I mean, this is like crazy. Uh, especially back then, this is '78. So then, when we the next year we were preseason number one, everybody came back. We only lost one guy who was a walk-on, and he was a great guy, but he was not a player. And so we were ranked number one by everybody to come back, and we had a great start. We were like 12 and 0, and we went up to New York. And uh, this is a, always a fun story to tell. Sports Illustrated had done a full feature on us. They had been with us. 
through December, and they were going to do a cover story the first year, and it was going to be this resurgence because Duke was good in the 60s, and here's the, the, the new Duke and blah, blah, blah. A lot of what you've seen with Coach K that has all those Sports Illustrated stories. This was going to be the first one in, you know, story in Sports Illustrated about Dukes in 66 or something. Well, we go up to, to New York, and we lose two games in a row in a holiday tournament to St. John's and to Ohio State. And we were up 15 in the second half on both those games. Total collapse. That's when people freaked out. Well, Sports Illustrated pulled that story. They pulled that article. They just, just. I mean, it, I've got a copy of it because ten years later, the one of our uh, athletic, um, our sports information directors, had it, got permission from the writer, and they he printed us up color copies with all the pictures and everything. It would have been awesome. I would, the chicks would have gone crazy. The, the pictures were great. <laughs> No, it was just an awesome article, but it, it got pulled because we lost those two games. We wound up losing in the first round that year of the uh, NCAA tournament, along with with uh, North Carolina over in Raleigh called Black Sunday. We yep, lost. It's to, very famous. Very, you lost to St. Yeah. John's. It was very famous. Yeah, yep. Carolina lost to Pitt. I mean, uh, Penn. Penn went on to the Final Four out of that bracket somehow. So anyway, that year was a disaster. That was the disaster year. The next year we came back, and we still, Spinarco was gone, but we had everybody else back and Vince Taylor. And we had a great season. But uh, after we win the ACC tournament, we won the ACC twice in three years. Coach Foster's leaving because he has a personality disorder with or conflict with the athletic director. So he leave, he announces after we win the ACC tournament, going in the NCAA tournament, he's leaving to go to South Carolina at the end of the season. Well, you know, obviously, what are you going to do? We almost made it. I mean, we were inches from getting to the Final Four again. We lost to Purdue in the regional, and we beat Kentucky on their home floor in the Mideast Regional, then lost to Purdue. But it was a uh, – those three years were, were amazing. I mean, it, what the growth and the things that, you know, Gene Banks probably should have gone pro, uh, telling this all the time, after a sophomore year. But he loved college so much. This guy, this guy loved life. I mean, if you think I love life, this guy really loves life. And, um, you know, the, the the senior year, we're, you know, I'm down in the Keys after the season's over, after we lose to Purdue. And I see on TV that there's this guy named Mike Prujewski they announced on TV, just literally on the the bar at the pier house that Mike Krujewski was named head coach of Duke. And I'm, you know, supposedly the captain next year with Gene. I'm going, holy moly. I remember him. He recruited me from Army. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I said, oh, yeah, you know, I, I missed. I always took my own spring break a couple of weeks after the season because we never got spring break as players. So I would take a couple of weeks off and then come back and beg for forgiveness. So I'm, a, you know, this is before cell phones. Nobody knew where I was. So I said, "Well, I better get back. I bet you he's probably looking for me." So that was that was kind of the three years in a nutshell of having such success freshman year, you know, pain and suffering sophomore year, and then pretty good success. And we just, you know, we had a coach that flaked out on us. God bless him. May he rest in peace. But you know that. But without him flaking out. There wouldn't have been a Coach K. So, 
Okay. Hey, so Kenny, so I heard that uh, you, you talked about it a little while ago about the fans going crazy after you guys made the finals in 1978. I heard a legend that women were quite literally being thrown at you. Is is that true? Well, they weren't being thrown at me. They were jumping on me. They weren't being thrown. I mean, they were doing it themselves. I, it was it was an amazing thing. And I, I you know, I, I met my wife in high school. We started dating. And then basketball was very uh, interesting. Back, this was at the end of the sexual revolution before uh, AIDS and herpes. So uh, it was a fun time, just to say it that way. Hey, I, I got to ask you, because when people heard that we were going to be interviewing you, I had about three or four people who like, by the way, uh, uh, this is Jason, and I, I too am an old timer, not quite as old timer as you, but uh, I, I I went to Duke about 10 years after you did. Um, I graduated uh, 1989, uh, 85 to 89 was my my time period. Um, uh, so I'm not as young as these other guys like Sam and Donald. But so I, I have friends who who have these legendary stories about Kenny Denard. I want to ask you, what's your favorite story about Kenny Denard? Well, I can't tell that, uh, but I can <laughs> say I can say that um, one of my favorite basketball stories. You know, I, I was going to write a book. Well, I did write a book, but I'm not going to publish it until after I'm dead because I, I don't want everybody to be pissed off at me for telling the truth. So <clears throat> the um, the 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 game against Carolina my senior year, we played Gene and I as our senior day. That's this is my favorite basketball story. Um, well, there's two, but the favorite one is we're playing against Carolina. You know, th this team Carolina has is awesome. James Worthy, Sam Perkins, uh, Al Wood, they go on to play in the national championship game. I think they lose to Indiana that year. But we beat them at home uh, on this crazy – everybody's seen the play, I guess, where we go into overtime with this uh, – pass I make to Gene, and Gene hits his shot from the top of the key. Well, interestingly enough, that play, when during the timeout, that play was was set up to go to Chip England, because Coach K, his first year, his first game against Carolina at home, he goes, I want you, uh, we're going to use Gene. They think we're going to go to Gene. Gene, I want you to do this, that, and then set a pick for Chip. Blah, blah, blah. And when we broke the huddle, I looked at Gene, and Gene looked at me like, this is our senior day, man. I mean, we were just thinking it. It was like ESP. So, pop back to the top of the key, man. I'll get it to you. And he, it happened, and we won, and it was awesome, and it was great. And then that night, went to the Bruce Springsteen game, and it was I mean, Bruce Springsteen in Greensboro and just had a great time. Well, little does people know that uh, this is a story – Coach K and Mickey been married for many, many years. Of course, back then, they were younger. He was there in their early 30s. And Coach K had this kind of, this is what Mickey told me, he said, you know, he just was too tense during the season to have a lot of intimate relations. But after that Carolina game, they knocked boots pretty good. And hence, Jamie was born. Jamie was conceived, his third daughter. Oh, come so, on. Come on. Yes, so, are you, so, that's true. so funny. That's too much. So this is so true. This is true. And I, Jamie knows it. I mean, this is a known story amongst us. And it's I've told it and I've written it up and sent it around to some people. But anyway, <clears throat> you know, when Jamie was like 12, 
I was over at their house when they moved out to Duke Forest, and we were playing ping pong, and she was kicking my ass. This little 12-year-old girl was kicking my ass. And uh, I said, hey, you better watch it. Because if I'd have thrown the ball to Chip England, you wouldn't be here. And that, <laughs> so that's been our running joke, you know, for, for the last, what, 20 years or 25 years. But that was a magical day, our senior day. And it was just one of those, <clears throat> you know, my senior year, we obviously, with Coach K, I mean, we were 17 and 13, which was better than his next two years. But nobody really knew deep down how well he was going to be, obviously, because I was in the pros with on the Kings with Hawkeye Whitney and Phil Ford, who were other HBC guys, great players. And every now and then, USA Today was how we got our information for games. That was the normal newspapers never really had the night before games. They would have two nights ago just because before satellites and all that. So we, we'd open up USA Today and Phil Fortress, damn dog. That was my nickname back the club still is. Damn dog. I said, what? He says, man, Duke lost to Wagner. Oh, man. Then a couple weeks later or whatever, Hawkeye's going, oh, man, Denard, man, what's what? Y'all lost to Appalachian State. Your guy ain't going to be there very long. You know, so the, the story goes that after Coach K loses to Virginia by 40 his third year, Tom Butters calls him in, and God bless him, he's nervous. nervous. He told this story at his Hall of Fame induction. He's sitting there knowing he's getting fired because he's only making 40000 a year. He's had two losing seasons. He's got a losing season overall, a losing record overall at Duke. He just knows he's getting fired. And he comes into Tom Butter's office, and Tom slides a piece of paper across the desk that he's got a sign. He thinks it's like his termination, but it's a five-year extension at 250000 a year. So listen to that. Who has ever – whoever does that? Who, who's ever done that before, and who's going to do it again? Nobody. But that's Tom Butter's was a genius. Well, he he basically said – you know, privately that he had to bolster this guy because he hired him. So if he had to fire him, they were going to fire him. You know how that goes. Right, you know, you right. Get rid of the, uh, so, so he did. He said at least this would get him confidence for the next five years. And he's got, that, you know, a million two. Back then, that was monster money. And um, look what it did. Three years later, they're in the national championship in Dallas in 86. So My, my freshman so year. You, you look at, yeah, you look at the progression of from 78 to 86 there. I gave you kind of an encapsulated thing with a small a small um, uh, story about the Carolina game. So I got more. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I have to put the Jamie story into perspective because she and I were classmates at Duke. So that that was really good. Um, well, just, I, just think, you know, she wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me passing the gene because if he doesn't. He, he, if we'd have lost, he wouldn't. He would. She wouldn't be here. That's the, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I want to talk about Duke after your playing days and, and kind of. I mean, you've watched a lot of Duke basketball since then. Who who's the one Duke player who came after your playing days that you wished you had been able to play with? Laker. Laker's my favorite player. Just the, that, the guy. He, I mean, he wasn't. 
fun to be around. He was, you know, he was kind of a dick, but he was the best competitor. He, you know, all he wanted to do was win. And if I had my brothers, that was who I'd want to play with. And along like that line, it. along the lines is that is as the Leitner teams are those some of your favorite teams? What's been your favorite team to watch over the years? Well, you know, there's a I've got a, a '86 team was because it was came out of nowhere as far as you know those guys were like the Kentucky team back in the early '70s that lost to UCLA and then came back uh, four years later and then they beat us. Kentucky had a team that they grew on you and, and became great. And that Allery, Billis, um, Johnny Dawkins, David Henderson crew was just a, a great, a great plus, uh, you know, I've got four years to play professionally and I came back after that and did my, I finished up my, my Duke schooling. I'm officially a class of 86 for everybody because I didn't graduate on time. I came back after the pros and I finished the in 86 i was in school that year so i got to see all those games it was really great uh and i went to dallas for that so that that team was was the most you know from since our team was the most i think it's the foundation that coach k's built his program on and they're just all great guys all of them are great guys. well most of these guys are great but this team just had a character that really set the tone for the future um and obviously we've benefited all. I tell everybody Coach K has made us all better in all ways of, of, of everything, you know, for us being Dukies because people look at us different. They may hate us. They may, they may look at us, but most people are, are a little bit envious, if, even if they hate us, because of what we've had to have a common bond amongst all these all these years, I mean, 37 or 38 years. I mean, hell, I was his first captain, and I'm I'm just happy to be on the planet. And he looks like Jerry Lewis. His hair is still jet black, and he's still doing the telethon, and holy moly. But um, that's my favorite team, 86 probably. And then um, I was – that 2015 team was, was fun. Um, I think that's probably my second favorite team. But there's there's some other good ones in there. But those, I wouldn't say that the 91, 92 teams were my favorite to watch. They certainly were the, you know, I've been to probably 20, I'll be Final Four. I used to be on the Coaches versus Cancer board, so I went to 15 Final Fours in a row for work, you know, because we had meetings during that weekend. But I've been to all the other Duke Final Fours, as well as I've probably been to 25 Final Fours in the last 38 years. And, uh, but that 2015 team was really fun to watch. And they were, they were, the way they won was fun. And, you know, looking through all these teams, you, you, you mentioned a couple of those teams. One, obviously one constant since the end of your playing days has been coach K. And we want to know what's the most notable thing in your mind about coach K that hasn't changed over these last 38 years. Well, you know, his commitment to, to his family and, and the program, I mean, he, he's not a, he's not, uh, uh, what's the right word, empirical, what's, um, he's not, he's consistent. He's, he's what you see is what you get. And the nice part is you, you can watch him evolve. 
I mean, he, he really couldn't coach very well. I mean, I tell people he got to play for me instead of me playing for Coach K. He wasn't that good a coach then. He has got – and he'll tell you that. I mean, he's, he, he'll tell you. But if you look at what he's done and how he's learned – I mean, how in 38 years can you still relate to these kids? I mean, it's it's amazing the evolution and the change and he captures – and, he's, you know, he's been writing books. So, I mean, he's a student of the game. He's a student of people. You know, and he has that core military value. He's able to – Instill those. You know, it's unfortunately for some of these great top players. I mean, we've had a lot of guys transfer from Duke. It's not talked about very much. But you know, you can be a great high school player, and you can be, you can have all you can. But when you get to Duke, you find out if you're a fraud or not. You really do. And if if you can't handle his system, because it's pretty well documented what he has, what he does, how he works. Uh, you come here without the right mindset of totally subjugating yourself to the team, then you're going to have problems. And so I think the, the what he's been able to do over these years, the consistency is is the thing that's the same. He, he's consistent with his, but he's got a lot of evolution uh, and a lot of learning in his head. You know, the Olympics were the best thing that ever happened for him, I think because he was able to have that experience with these guys and learn from them and see how they, you know, see how they worked out, see how they, you know, he talked. I mean, it was, it, he's it's just amazing, his career. I'm very happy for all of his success. And, you know, this year I just hope he gets number six before he, you know, I'm, I'm just worried he's going to get number six and say that's it. Yeah, we don't want that. We 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 don't want him going away, <laughs> not for a long, no, long time. I mean, hey. he he deserves it. I'll tell you another story uh, that people don't know, but um, maybe I shouldn't tell that one until later. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, because I was going to ask you. We're about to wrap things up. I was going to ask you. We ask every former Duke player that we have on the podcast to give us a story about Coach K, and we've gotten some really good ones. So now it's your turn. I know you've got a book yeah. that's going to come out after you die, but yeah. come on, man. Give me one good All Coach right. K story. Okay, 93-94 season. We make it to the finals in 94 in Charlotte. And if you remember, Duke won 91 and 92 national champions. And then 93 had a down year, didn't win national championship. But 94, back in the championship game. Yep, playing well, Arkansas. There's a, there's a, there's a, I was back, I moved back to Durham for a job. One of the things that I, it was in Durham, it was at Coastal Healthcare Group. And I was seeing the VP of Investor Relations, blah, blah, blah. But the reason I went back there, one of the reasons was they were going to pay for my, graduate school, graduate school. I was going to get an MBA, and they said they paid for Duke or Carolina. didn't matter. So I moved back from San Francisco with my wife. We wanted to have a kid and all this. So I applied to Duke, MBA, I applied to the Keenan Flagler, you know, the executive MBA over there. And these are those night, you know, those night class things. So I did all the essays. I did the paperwork, and I got my three references for both Carolina and Duke, and for Carolina, I had uh, Lee Schaffer, president of Keenan Oil. I had Dean Smith, coach of the UN, you know, he was coach there. You might remember him. And I had another guy, Doug Townsend, who was a big UNC guy who worked with me, who I worked for. 
And then on the Duke side, my references were Steve Scott, who was worth $400 million. He was the CEO of Coastal Healthcare. Uh, John Hemingway, who was big, a Duke alumni, wealthy, and worked there. And then I had Coach K. So I mailed off my applications, you know, on a Friday. And on a Tuesday, I got a call from Carolina. But Dean Smith had been on my reference. He'd been a reference on my resume forever since I started working. And uh, so on Tuesday, I get a call from Carolina. I said, come on over for the interview. I had the interview on Wednesday. I got accepted on Thursday. Next week, I by the next, I waited and another week and hadn't heard from Duke. I picked up the phone and called the, called the lady at Duke. I said, hey, I've already been accepted over Carolina. What's going on? I, oh, oh, we were going to call you, Kenny. You need one more reference over here. I said, what? Yeah, your application's incomplete. I said, what do you mean? I gave you, th- oh, we, we don't take Coach K's reference over here. I went, what? Are you fucking kidding me? So I picked up the phone and called Coach K, and it was like, he, you know, this is 94 now. You know, this is like this, he was like, it's like the, the Fred Flintstone phone when you put the you know, shakes off the hook and stuff. <laughs> so when I, we go to the final four, this is kind of like Pulp Fiction stories, so try to keep up with me. I apologize. We go to the final four. I don't know. It's four, great. It's awesome. We go to the final four in Charlotte, and there's all the former players. You know, They always give us a couple of tickets, and they sit us together and things like this. And I was sitting with Leitner and Grant Hill, and we were having a nice time. And <clears throat> I wasn't sitting with Grant Hill because Grant Hill was playing. Sorry. Uh, Leitner and uh, a bunch of other guys. I think Ferry, Danny was there. And so after the game, when we lost, you know, we almost won that game. The guy from Arkansas hit that shot at the buzzer. And, you know, it was big. I go to the after party. After parties were, you know, Coach K's invitation players and people he was. And some of these, the last couple of years, have been pretty fun, you know, where we won in Minneapolis and Indianapolis. Here at Charlotte at the hotel, the mood was more of a, you know, solace and sadness and, you know, very, so I talked to Mickey, you know, I mean, even, that was back in, um, Tatonka, what's his name, uh, the actor who played Tatonka, Dances with Wolves, what's his name? Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner hung around the Duke program that year. You know, he was kind of the Drake of that era. And, um, so he was at the party and he was hitting on my wife and, I was over talking to Mickey, and I said, "Man, you you'll be you'll be great. It's, it's, don't worry about it. this. Is you know, it's got a long future ahead of you." He says, "Shut up." I said, "What?" He goes, "Shut up." If Mike was, you know how Duke's been treating us. You know, Duke's been treating like shit. Says, if Mike would have won tonight, he was going to retire. Now he can't retire. So just think about that. If Coach wow. K had won, if Coach K had won the '94 the national championship and had three out of four years in a row, because guess what happened the next year? The next year, when he had the back problems and all the nervous problems, and he sat out that year, because it just built up. Duke was so bad, and the example that I use is look how they treated him over to business school. Now they've got curriculum and schools named after him. You know, back then it's they, they, it was such a snobby, elitist, academic world back then. They didn't like Coach K being successful. 
And that so imagine our world, all of us, if Coach K had retired in ninety four. I just can't imagine it. The world would be so different and so I can't even imagine it because it's so been so rich for me and all of my former teammates. And he treats us like family, uh, even though he didn't recruit us directly. Uh, it's just been a, a wonderful ride, and that's my Coach K story that you'll never hear from anybody else. Well, Kenny, that's that's pretty good. I'll I'll, I'll let that one fly. That was uh, uh, we got some great insight from you about the current team and about the way to think about college basketball. We got some amazing history. Um, Kenny Denard, thank you so, so much for joining us here on the 100th episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We really appreciate you being a part of it, man. And uh, maybe we'll have you back on sometime. Hey, be happy to. It's been a fun experience, guys. Go Duke. I love it. Talk to you soon, Kenny. Bye-bye. So, gentlemen, that was so much fun having Kenny Denard on. Uh, you know, when I told I told some friends that we were going to be interviewing him, and I was flooded with people saying, "You have to ask him about this and X and Y and Z and all these other things that were that are stories that I think Kenny doesn't want out in public." And so I couldn't ask him about those. But the man is a living legend, and he lived up to it. Um, the interview was was great. It was uh, his insight was was really useful. You know, I, I love how optimistic he is and how much he thinks. Duke is going to turn this around. Um, Donald, I'll go to you first. What was your favorite part, other than, of course, the fact that Kenny Denard and Gene Banks are responsible for Coach K having sex? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's hard. To, it's hard to beat that, right? Like, <laughs> right, exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> it, it was. Look, his whole the the whole thing about, and I want to even go back to when we were talking with him about the NC State game. I, I like his optimism on this team and, and just on the, on the, on the process of a, a group of freshmen, you know, going through their first season in college and, and, you know, whether the game has changed over the years, that part to him has remained the same. And I think that is a really key thing to kind of consider when we're talking about this team and we're talking about, you know, future teams that have, that are very young, you know, the fact that he was just like, we're like, guys, the, the sky is falling. Our defense is terrible. We can't shoot threes. We can't defend threes. And he's like, guys, this is January 6th. We're, we're cool. Like, just just chill out a little bit. I, I think that sort of, you know, that's kind of refreshing and kind of a uh, a wake-up call in a sense. But uh, the stories that he has about everything, like, yo, we could have had him on for two hours, and I, I probably would have died uh, of asphyxiation from laughing so hard I couldn't breathe. That that was outstanding, and in every sense, and, and like you said, his legend preceded him, and his legend continues with this interview. I I don't have any memory of Kenny Denard obviously being a, a basketball player because I think that his basketball career ended before I was born. But I have you know been around on the DBR forum and read enough about Duke basketball history to know like what an outrageous guy he was and and still is obviously. So. Like you, Jason, I was really excited when you told us we were going to be interviewing him because because he has, I, I think there there may not be a basketball person who has the same like number of stories. And, and Kenny, like, you know, he only, like you said, he only played professionally for a couple years. He played, obviously, his four years at Duke. Like, Charles Barkley has a million stories because he was in the league forever and he's still involved in it and everything. Kenny like left basketball and and went off and has, has had 
you know, jobs in, for lack of a better term, like the real world, and still has so many incredible stories about his time playing and all the, and all the time after. So I really enjoyed all of that. But the, um, the, the thing that I thought was most interesting that he told us was about the strained relationship between, you know, athletics and, and the greater university back in the early 90s. And I think that we, we talk a lot on this show. And I think if you consume any college sports media, you're going to hear a lot about the NCAA and their relationship with academics and, you know, UNC scandal, all these things that, that are like ongoing issues. At least I think things today are better for college athletics than they were back then because, you know, the coaches are overpaid probably, but the, um, but in general, I think that the, a lot of the programs have better relationships with their universities and people kind of appreciate what college athletics brings more than just bragging rights because school A beat school B. And so it was cool to hear his perspective on that. And, um, you know, in addition to, to all the funny stuff, um, that, that stuff was really, was really enlightening and how, you know, he, he hears about that and he's there with all the former players, all that kind of stuff I think is, is really neat and, and fun to reflect on. And he has tremendous confidence in, uh, in, in the coaching staff. You really heard that come through. Um, that, that to me was the thing that stuck out the most. Um, uh, you know, the way he said, he just knows that, you know, by mid February, they'll have figured it out. Um, it's hard not to have a game like yesterday, like that NC State game, impact your feeling about the future of the team. But uh, Kenny's been through the wars. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be a freshman um, playing, you know, at the highest levels of college basketball. And um, uh, I'll say again, I really uh, that that was a perspective I really appreciated. And and, and it surprised me a little bit um, to hear the calm and to hear his confidence that that uh, Coach K and the staff would be able to, to figure it all out. Today's edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is proudly sponsored by two Duke alums and former roommates from the class of 1978, Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird. They are both diehard Duke followers, and they are the founders of the Bird Campbell Law Firm, a Duke-centric business law firm with offices in Dallas, Orlando, and on the Gulf Coast of Florida. They have watched and or cheered for close to 3,000 Duke basketball and football games they ask you, please reach out to them at birdcampbell.com. That's B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. If nothing else, they'd love to hear you say, go to hell, Carolina. All right, gentlemen. So coming off the NC State loss, Duke has a couple games coming up this week. Uh, we go back on the road on Wednesday against what everyone thinks is the worst team in the ACC, the Pitt Panthers. Um, if we're going to win a road game in the ACC, this had better be it. Uh, I mentioned early on in the podcast that, um, that, that you know, Duke's early ACC schedule is fairly easy, and um, I don't think it gets much easier than, than Pittsburgh. They have not been close in any of their three ACC games th- thus far, losing all three games by double digits. Um, Sam, I know you looked a little bit at the Pitt Panthers. What do you have to tell us about them? There isn't much good to say. You you kind of <laughs> kicked it off for me appropriately. Um, Pittsburgh is 179th in Ken Palm, and they're 210th in in offensive efficiency. So um, watching the the pit offense against the Duke defense might be 
fun in sort of a in sort of a you know disaster kind of way because they can't they don't score the ball very well. Their best player um, has been out since mid December. Ryan Luther, he's got an injury, and he was there. He was averaging a double double when he when he went down. Uh, he was their most effective player. He's a senior forward, and he's not there anymore. So um, Pittsburgh is going to struggle to score points, as you said. They've struggled in their in their first three games, um, only one of which was at home. But um, but yeah, haven't acquitted themselves well. And and we know from the past that that playing at at the Pete and in front of the Oakland Zoo is a notable college basketball experience and one that usually is rather formidable. But teams have not found it to be so this year. They uh, they have a home loss against Montana, and when I was when I was looking this stuff up, I was going to emphasize, oh man, they lost to Montana, and I was going to put their Ken Palm number in front of it. But Montana's ranked ninety seventh, and Pitt is one hundred and seventy ninth, so maybe that was expected, uh, or maybe it would be at this point. I don't know if that was the case at the beginning of the season. So Pittsburgh is reeling right now, and their head coach Kevin Stallings has only has only been there briefly, but um, he's he had a ran into a little bit of a public issue the other day when they were playing at Louisville, um, yelled at a, a fan was, he- was heckling him or was heckling his players at the end of the game. And he shouted at the fan and they got audio of this on the broadcast that uh, he shouted at the fan. Well, at least we're not paying our players a hundred thousand dollars. And uh, I don't know, it was a bad look for him because he, uh, you know, his, his team is struggling and I think he's just looking for excuses at this point. So um my my summary of Pittsburgh. I don't really want to get too deep into them. I think we're running long anyway. But um, if Duke loses to to Pittsburgh, we, we we may need to revisit some of Kenny's thoughts on this Duke team and how they're progressing because Pitt is kind of like what BC was a couple of years ago, where you know losses to them are like are are almost unforgivable. So uh, when we were when we were talking about um, doing the previews for these various teams and and. You know, one of the things we do, folks, is we kind of assign each other the previews, and I assigned Sam the Pitt preview, and Sam was like, there's nothing interesting to say about Pittsburgh. And I said, oh, I've got one thing I want to talk about, and Sam was surprised. He was like, you have something interesting in- to say? I am incredulous, and I still don't know what it is. So y- you took it. I was going to say the only interesting thing about the Pitt Panthers this year is to see whether or not Kevin Stallings completely melts down over the course of the season. And I was going to talk about that that incident at Louisville with the Louisville fan um, by the way, did you hear there was reaction to that? That in, you know, again, Kevin Stallings said, "At least we don't pay our kids a hundred grand," um, which is in reference to the the scandal that Louisville is is undergoing. Did you see that Rick Pitino had a response to that? Oh no! What did he say? So Rick Pitino was talking to a radio guy or a media personality, someone in Louisville, a guy named John Ramsey, and Rick Pitino said, "You can quote me on this. Kevin Stallings is a jackass." <laughs> so uh now rick petito's gotten a little crusty and angry lately um he's suing everybody and their brother for for you know being ousted at at louisville and he's pissed off that he got caught or 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 he's pissed off that he allegedly got caught i don't know what you want to say it but i still think i mean for rick petito to just say yep kevin stallings is a jackass is to me is pretty darn funny um so that to me is the most interesting thing about about Pitt this year, it's going to be sort of watching to see whether Kevin Stallings, you know, can can survive. I mean, he's only yeah. in his second year, but it, I mean, they're they're going to be going for like back to back seller seasons, not quite seller, but darn close to it. Um, and there's not much hope on the horizon. It's not like they're bringing in a lot of good young players either. 
Yeah, they, they I, I doubt Kevin Stallings lasts a long time at Pittsburgh, and we're going to be talking about their new coach, you know, if it's after this season or after next season. It, it, it's a little bit upsetting because, you know, under Jamie Dixon, Pittsburgh was was a reliably good program. I mean, they weren't, you know, the the, the top of the college basketball heap, but they, they produced a lot of NBA players. They, they were always competitive in the Big East and then in their first couple of years in the ACC, and it has really fallen apart since they let Jamie Dixon go. And and look, Pitt has uh, Pitt has a uh, you know a, a good tradition, not just in terms of uh, you know they they win well, but like their their student sections, which is called the Oakland Zoo, is one of the more active and involved student sections out there. I mean, th- you know, look at Duke, we're spoiled. Um, you know, we we have the best fans on earth, the best you know fan situation around. Um, uh, at, at Cameron, but. But Pitt has a Pitt has a really good home court when they're winning and when the students are engaged, and uh, yeah, it looks like Stallings. You know, this uh, he, he's not getting it done. And and uh, while I don't think two year, I mean, he's only in second season. Well, I don't think they'll get rid of him after two years. Um, he's going to be majorly on the hot seat next year if things don't improve for them. And I hope they don't because we're about to play them. All right, so we have another game coming up a little later this week. Uh, the Blue Devils will be, I forgot who we're playing. Who are we playing? Oh, we're playing Wake Forest. That's right. We're playing Wake at home on su- Saturday. I had to look at my notes. I was away from my notes for a second. I was looking at Rick Pitino calling Kevin Stallings a jackass, and I didn't have anything else up on my screen except the word jackass. Um, so, Donald, you got the you drew the short stick and had to preview the Wake Forest game. I guess maybe that's a long stick compared to previewing Pitt. Um, Tell me, tell me a little bit about what's going on uh, at Wake Forest. Well, really quickly, you know, they, they're eight and seven. They're one and two in the ACC. They started out the season terribly. Uh, they lost uh, to open up the season. They played Georgia Southern, Liberty, and Drake. Not, not Drake the singer, Drake the college. And lost all three of them. Uh, they've bounced back somewhat until ACC play opened up. They're one and two, as I said, in the ACC They've lost to Boston College and to UNC. They defeated Syracuse. The The one thing about them is, is that they have seven guys who average 20 minutes per game, and they have nine who average more than 10 minutes. So they're going to have a lot of bodies rotating in and out to get their points. They're led by Bryant Crawford. He averages about 16 points a game, uh, five assists a game. He shoots about 40% from the floor. And the other guy you want to watch for, Keyshawn Woods, uh, he averages 15 points a game and shoots about 48% from the floor. But the one thing that they are that they get their points, they're fairly efficient in scoring. According to Kempom, they are 39th in adjusted offensive efficiency. But a lot of that is because they shoot the three well as a team. They're about 40%. And they're going to shoot well at the free throw line. They average 74% from the line. Uh, the two guys that I mentioned average 90% from the, from the uh, charity stripe. So our keys, we've said it before, we need to grab every rebound. We're a much better rebounding team. If you know the teams that we've out rebounded, we've we've beat the teams that we don't, we lose. We must feed to our strength inside. But one thing that I want to point out that we I'd like to see both in the pit game and in the Wake Forest game, we want to put our guys in the position that makes them the most successful. And the one person we're not really doing that with is Gary Trent. I like the plays that allow Gary Trent to sneak down to the corner for a three point look because from that spot on either corner. It seems like he shoots about 75%. He makes a lot of those corner threes. When he's not, when he's on the wing or something like that, and he's shooting from the outside, he's a, he's not as efficient at shooting the three. So we haven't played to that strength in a while. 
I'd like to see that a lot more. And I think that would be a key to the game. If we can see him shoot a lot more uh, confident jumpers from the corner where he's very successful, that's going to open up the floor for the guys on the inside to do their thing. And also for Duval and Allen and Trent to drive. So uh, that's what I want to see. I think the momentum that we'll have in Cameron is going to be great. And if we can do that, we should beat Wake Forest. Okay, guys, I'm making an executive decision. There is not going to be a player of the week this week. I'm calling it right now. You guys didn't know this, but I'm making that call. Hold on, hold on. Played against I, I, it was I, I, did, <laughs> I mean, it was badly, really? but 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 can I can I say that our player of the week this week should be Trevon Duval, just so I can get more practice saying Trevon Duval. My he player of the week is game. My player of the week is Kenny Denard. <laughs> yeah. Kenny Denard, Duke player of the week. <laughs> I will not fight that. I think that is accurate. But uh, so the podcast we're running long. We've been talking to Kenny for so long that uh, uh, you know this is this is on the long side as as we go. So uh, we've now said player of the week is the proper pronunciation of of the Duke point guard's name and Kenny Denard. So let's get to parting shots. Donald, let me go to you first. Give me a quick parting shot. All right, very quickly, guys, tomorrow, the college football playoff national championship, Georgia, Alabama, in Jason Evans' hometown of Atlanta, Georgia. The trap is going to be dogs. sick. Oh, so, yeah, I was about to say, who do you got? You got dogs? Who you got, Sam? Uh, I, I think the Tide are going to win. But but Georgia Georgia has some fun players that – Who's a number three, the linebacker? That guy's a that guy's scary. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm going to go. I'm going to I'm going to root for the dogs. Uh, I, I think Bama's going to win uh, because Bama seems to always win these games. Uh, but I think it's going to be great. Uh, I think it's going to be a nice game. Uh, and really, I'm looking forward to Nick Chubb being in a Detroit Lions uniform next year, hopefully. All right, Sam, your turn. Parting shot. What you got for me? Also related to the college football national championship game, I mentioned in my parting shot last week how much I enjoy the coaches' film room broadcast that ESPN does on ESPN News during these playoff games. And I said, wouldn't it be fun if Coach Cutcliffe was on the show? And lo and behold, someone was listening because Coach Cutcliffe is going to be on the panel uh, on ESPN News during the championship game. So I am even more excited now to tune in. And I just hope that he brings more insight than Larry Fedora did during the semifinal games. I know I'm watching that feed. You're not setting a high bar for him. I I think he just has to speak. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. So for my parting shot, I want to talk very briefly about Teddy Valentine. Um, Teddy Valentine, of course, was, is the, uh, the official who earlier this week, UNC was playing Florida state. Um, there was a play where Joel Berry was running down court. He was grabbed by a Florida State player. It slowed him up, and as a result, a pass goes over his head that he would have otherwise been able to catch. And um, Joel Berry goes uh, – Teddy Valentine, the official, did not call a foul on the play. And Joel Berry goes up to talk to Teddy Valentine about the fact that he was held pretty clearly. I mean, it's, it's an obvious one. Um, and Teddy Valentine wanted no part of talking to Joel Berry, so he – he turns around. He just shows Joel Berry his back. He refuses to engage with him at all. It's not like they talked for a little bit, and then Teddy Valentine was like, I've had enough. Like, literally, Joel Berry was like, Teddy, can I say something about that? And Teddy Valentine turns around and shows Joel Berry his back. And a lot of people have come out and said that this was inappropriate conduct on the part of Teddy Valentine. They are right. 
it is incredibly inappropriate on his part. How difficult would it have been for him to talk to Joel Berry for just a couple seconds? Um, uh, we, we, you know, we we give the players a lot of flack when they don't respect the referees. Well, here's a referee showing the least respect you can to a player. Uh, it it should go both ways. But so there's an impact of all this. Teddy Valentine says he's been he, he's been criticized so much for this. The ACC says they're going to do something about it. That they're going to talk to him about it. Um, uh, Teddy Valentine was removed from an Ohio State Michigan game that was supposed to happen today. Uh, he he was supposed to referee that game, and and the Big Ten decided not to have him referee that game. And now Teddy Valentine is saying that he's contemplating retirement. Uh, it's worth noting that Teddy Valentine is considered one of the better officials in NCAA basketball. He has officiated, I think, four Final Fours or something like that. Four national um, championships and ten Final Four fours. national. Yeah, ten Final Fours, four national championships. This guy is. He's considered one of the better referees in the game. There's a reason the Big Ten uses him. There's a reason the ACC uses him. Referee is a thankless job. You only get noticed if you mess up. Um, and and I have the utmost respect for refs. It's it's not easy at all. Um, we blame them when they don't see things that they couldn't otherwise see. We blame them when they think they saw something that didn't happen. And frankly, as a fan, sometimes I can't tell, even on a replay. And these guys are expected to get it right real-time, first-time, without the benefit of slow-mo and repays and all that other stuff. All that said, we don't know the name of most referees. And I can't think of any referee where we know that they have a nickname like TV Teddy. Teddy Valentine is known as TV Teddy because he shuts such a showboat. And true to form, this guy is showboating. He's whining. He's saying he might retire. He he called up the athletic to get an article about how he's thinking about retiring because people are being so mean to him. Oh, Ted. Teddy, go away. Go away. I don't want you refereeing basketball games anymore. Even though you're darn good at your job, you think you're the story. And that is bad for basketball. I want refs whose names I don't know. Can I can I put and a little I'll... spin on 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 a story I have about Teddy. So Go, when please. I was in school, um, I, you know, I was a headline monitor, as some of you know, and I had, you know, four seats as a lot of people do. And I was able to get a lot of interaction with TV Teddy. And one thing that I always will have respect for him for is that throughout all of this charade that you see on television, when there's, I, I don't remember the game because the game's not important, but there was a bad call and I'm yelling at him, Teddy, how can you make that call? He goes, he goes to timeout. Teddy, how can you make that call? That was clearly a foul. You got to give a man a foul. And he walked over calmly and calmly explained what he saw to me and a couple of other people and, and, and said why it wasn't a foul. And it was one of those things where you're like, at the end, you're like, oh, okay. Well, just so you know, you're wrong, Teddy. But I, I thanks for the explanation. He was always a guy. That no matter what happened, I know there's a lot of stuff about the cameras and stuff, but to the students, when he, when I was there, if there was a bad call, he would calmly walk over and explain himself and say what he saw so that we would have a better way, basically in his words, so we can better taunt him about the call. Uh, but there's one thing that I'll always say is really funny. It was when Dante Jones was at uh, was at Duke, and it was one of those games where he went up and just just destroyed somebody with a dunk, just absolutely yammed on somebody. And did not get a foul call. So I yell at Teddy, like, yo, Teddy, that's an and one. That's got to be an and one, Teddy. And at the timeout, he calmly walked over and he's like, 
well, he didn't really get him with the arm and it was after the act. So it wasn't a foul. And then as he started to walk away, he turned back and he goes, but he did bang on him. And it's just had me just dying laughing. <laughs> so with all the flaws that Teddy TV Teddy has, I will always have respect for him for that part. Because when I was in school, he was always the, the one referee that would give you an explanation about what was going on so that you can kind of get a perspective of what these guys see night in and night out. Look, the bottom line to me is the fact that the guy has a nickname. The fact that he's known as TV Teddy. Uh, there, there are a lot of other refs who have names that start with a T. And this guy's known as TV Teddy because he's known for wanting the spotlight on him. And that's the opposite of what a referee should want. Um, so I say, ah, see ya, Teddy. You want to retire? Get out of here. I don't mind. Even though it sounds like you're a really nice guy to Donald. So, folks, that's going to wrap it up for us here on episode number 100 of the DBR podcast. We are all done with our 100th episode, but we got 100 more coming, right? At least. Right, guys? At least Who knows how long this will last? <laughs> Several hundred. <laughs> Sam Several sounds hundred. pessimistic. Sam, Sam sounds I, pessimistic. No, I, I, I think we'll just, we'll just keep doing it. I'm, I, am, I am astounded that we, that we made it this long, but it is, it is awesome, and I'm very happy about it. Hey, I, so I don't know if you guys have anything. I haven't prepared anything for this, but I, I, you know, if you want to reminisce for a brief moment, I, one of the things I vividly remember was podcast number eight. I'm 90% sure it was podcast number eight when Donald said most podcasts, the vast majority of podcasts, don't make it through seven episodes. Right, Donald? Wasn't that you? Yep, that was absolutely right. You said most podcasts don't make it through seven episodes. And I remember on episode eight, you brought that up, I think. I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. you mentioned that. And I was like, wow, seven, seven doesn't seem that hard. Now that I'm looking back at 100, I can't believe that we've done this this long. And, and gentlemen, thank you very much for making it a pleasure, for making it fun for me. And to the fans, I can't believe how many of you continue to listen to the three of us make idiots of ourselves every week. So thank you very much to you all as well. Yeah, I think the yeah. the one thing I love the I love the the emails that we're getting from people and and literally there's some emails that that you know they're like hey you did not talk about when you know Gary Trent did this or when Wendell Carter did that and and that's cool we 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 like those too because we like to see what everyone else is thinking we're just three perspectives here but the one there was one uh, a couple that emailed us a week ago and they literally just said guys thank you like this is an entertaining hour of my week. And that's really all that we're trying to do here. We're just three fans talking and we decided to record it three years ago. And now we're a hundred, hundred episodes deep. And that's because of you guys. So thank you. Yeah. All that. And, and more, you guys, you guys hit everything. It's uh, it's a lot of fun doing this. I think I've said before that the, the thing I like most about doing this show with you guys is that I get to like compartmentalize my, my time each week talking about basketball. So I don't have to do it to the detriment of some of my other social relationships. And, and for that, I am eternally grateful to you and to all the listeners um, for letting me kind of, kind of be here and, and extend all of my, all of my thoughts uh, in, in this forum, which, which is, is fun and is something that I enjoy and that I enjoy doing with the two of you. Well, so that's gonna that is finally gonna be it. That is gonna wrap us up here here on uh, the DBR podcast episode number one hundred. If you love the podcast, if you like us, please please rate us on iTunes. Uh, you know, uh, whatever format you're using to listen to us, 
give us a rating, give us a comment, that kind of thing, because it helps with our, our search results and it helps with our importance and all that other kind of silly stuff like that. If you have any complaints or comments, like Donald said, please email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to be a sponsor, we'd love to hear from you as well. Um, we'll get your message out. And uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us here. Uh, Kenny Denard, again, thanks so much for joining us on episode number 100. Um, that's going to wrap it up for us here. And I will hand it over to the Duke band. They can take us home.